With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a special guest. Justin Guerrero of Rivals.com runs the CU Sports Nation site. That's the Colorado portion of the Rivals website, and he's killing it. And he's about to tell us all about what has been going on in recruiting. What's up, Justin? What's up, Henry? Thanks for having me. I look forward to talking some recruiting and uh, and catching up with you. I know it's it's, it's been a while. Haven't haven't seen you or any of the the Colorado media contingent in person for for quite some time. So nice to get some uh, some social interaction with you uh, via via Zoom here. But I know it's, it's jump on the show with you. It's so weird, but this actually is like my only human act interaction, yeah. like Zoom. Like like there's the draft podcast. Me and Justin Michael do the college podcast, mm-hmm. and then there's the interviews on Wednesdays. And it, it's I don't know. Having those back has been really nice because I've actually like missed everybody. In I know a way that yeah. I didn't expect to. Like I've thought like, huh, haven't talked to Brian Howell in a while. Like I, I, <laughs> I like miss him. You see like a tweet about him like and his kid, and you're like, oh, I want him to tell me about his kid. I want to see his kid at practice, like that kind of stuff. But this is fun, and I'm glad that you are willing to join us today. Absolutely, yeah. All right. So the plan for today is basically for Justin to get us totally caught up on all things recruiting and the first thing that we have to be caught up on is the newest commit the fifth commit of this class eric olson the mm-hmm. tight end out of uh, heritage high school in littleton how excited should we be about eric olson well i think very excited is, is the short answer and and there's a couple reasons why kind of um falling under different roofs and, and first of all maybe it's a good good place to start with with optics i mean carl Durrell has already done what mel tucker what mel, mike mcintyre and dating uh preceding those two guys what they were unable to do and that is keeping home a, a four-star in-state prospect and you'd have to go back to 2009 for the last time the colorado retained a, a four-star in-state guy um nick casa i believe was was the last four-star guy coming out of colorado that stayed home and I mean, just from a recruiting perspective, if you're a recruit growing up in the state of Colorado, 
I mean, there obviously is an asterisk. There's, there's some clouds just surrounding this Colorado program, which frankly is unavoidable when you have one winning season in the last 12 years. I mean, guys notice that. I mean, Eric Olson, he's right down the block in Littleton. Like, that's obviously something that is on his mind as well as the minds of other blue chip prospects coming out of the state of Colorado. So I think just from that perspective, it's impressive that Carl Durrell, given all the disadvantages he and his staff have faced uh, thus far in the 2021 cycle, that he and his guys were able to keep Eric Olson um, home, protect the borders of the state. I think optics-wise and in terms of reverberations that that has the potential to send out in the recruiting world, I think it's big. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember something to the effect of um, coming from Mel Tucker, and he was like, you know, straight up, like, recruits talk to each other. Like, let's not pretend that getting a four-star recruit or, or a, a, some big momentum on the recruiting trail, that, that that's just not noticed by other guys across the country, potentially. So from that point of view, Colorado got some really good momentum on the recruiting trail, uh, really good news for the 4th of July weekend. And, I mean, Eric Olson, everything I, I see about the guy on, on film just points in the direction of, I mean, this dude is a versatile stud. I mean, you can flex him out wide, treat him as more of a, a big, giant wide receiver. The dude's 6'5", almost 240 pounds. And when he goes down in a three-point stance and puts his hand in the dirt, I mean, he moves guys against their will. I mean, this is a dude that you can really utilize as a lead blocker that really, I think, has the potential to – to make a contribution early um, in his career, Colorado, whether that be in the pass catching department, as well as uh, in, in the, the run game and in, in the blocking game. And I would just say this, that in the manner, in, in the span of a, a short couple months, I mean, when you look at what Taylor Embry has done to that tight ends room and his personal contributions to, to landing Eric Olson certainly should not be uh, understated, but looking at the, um, the walk-ons he was able to bring in, a, a few from the, the Power 5 level, one coming from a, a Division Two level, but very smartly kind of beefing up that room, not burning any scholarships, and then you push all the chips in with a guy like Aaron Ol Eric Olson and bring him into the fold. I think it's fair to say that Colorado is shaping up, at least on paper, to be able to do things with the tight end position that have not been seen really, I, I would go as far to say, as the Gary Barnett uh, era at Colorado. I mean, Mike McIntyre very famously was not a tight ends guy. The tight end position was not really seen whatsoever within his offense. Mel Tucker, I think, got the ball moving a little bit in that department. Uh, Brady Russell catching almost – I think he got 24 passes last year for just over 200 yards. So that was really the first taste of consistent tight end action that Colorado had, had used in its offense for, for a decade plus. But now, yeah, Taylor Embry, Carl Durrell, and, and Darren Cheverini bringing in Eric Olson, especially with a couple of the guys they got in 2020 as well, um, Caleb Fourier and then Louis Passarello. Within a couple years, that tight ends room is looking like it's going to be robust. It's going to be very well-rounded, and there's going to be a lot of versatile guys in that room. And, and Eric Olson certainly is the cherry on top. So all around from, from an optics perspective, from momentum, and just straight up getting a very talented – stud blue chip player to stay home really really big victory for Carl Durrell and this this first year staff with, with Eric Olson yeah and I mean th there's so many different ways you can take this conversation and you touched on a few of them that, that I really like you know the way that tight ends are used in this offense on this podcast we've talked about quite a bit you know if you go mm -hmm. back to Carl Durrell's tape from when he was at UCLA or, or what he's done in the pros even 
he relied a lot on tight ends, like a lot of 12 personnel, two tight end sets. And that's just something that wasn't even possible for Colorado based on their roster coming into this off season. Now we've seen this focus and there hasn't like those tight ends just don't even exist on the roster. And that's the crazy part is it? it's like that position wasn't a thing for Colorado just like while Darren Cheverini was running the offense but before that with McIntyre, like you touched on, and now they really have to build from the ground up because that room was just empty. I mean, you look back and before for you, it, it, the last real tight end that they kind of went after was LaVisca Chenault, maybe, <laughs> you, you know, and then he ends up being a receiver. They just haven't had that presence. And I mean, you, you did a great job summing that up, but when you do talk to these recruits, talk to these guys about like Eric Olson, do they tell you what they expect their role to be in this offense? Well, I mean, I can certainly attest to to Eric. Um, I've, I've talked to him numerous times just um, as he would release like top schools list from a, a top 11 to a top six, so on and so forth. And Colorado remained in the conversation. Um, I, I talked to him maybe on a once, once per month basis over the last few months. And one thing he really said was that, he resonated, he appreciated, and he trusted the vision that these coaches have for the tight end position specifically at Colorado um, in the near future. And while um, – and, and, and Brady Russell, um, this past Wednesday, um, Henry and I, the Colorado media, we got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes last week, and he had kind of said something to this effect as well that, that Eric had, had, uh, had echoed when I had talked to him. But it's like, look, at the end of the day, like, we're not really going to know what it looks like until we get on the field and start actually going through that playbook and just getting running through the motions, if you will. But I mean, everything you see, all indications point to the tight end position really becoming um, a unique and a special role within this offense. And even kind of like building off of that, what, what interests me and what, what I appreciate about how um, the Buffs pursued Eric Olson and, and how this tight end room has gotten beefed up that to me is indicative of Taylor Embry, Carl Durrell, Danny Langsdorf, and Darren Cheverini understanding that the better your tight ends room is, the easier it's going to be to run the football. Mm-hmm. And obviously the big question mark with this team heading into 2021 is the quarterback position. And with that question mark comes follow-up questions about how the pass game is going to look. And frankly, with so much up in the air, I mean, the one part of your game that you know is dependable, you know you can turn to to set the tone in the event that maybe the quarterback position, whether it be Brendan Lewis or Tyler Lytle, Sam Neuer, so on and so forth, in the event that whoever does get the starting QB job needs a few weeks to acclimate themselves, you can turn to the run game. And that's kind of a sure bet to to set the tone on the field and get things going offensively. And I really think there is a significant correlation between having a robust tight ends room guys that can block for you as well as go out and, and serve a, a dual role as a wide receiver to alleviating some stress off the O-line and off the tailbacks to, to get the ball up the field. So that's something certainly that, that Eric Olson attested to in the, the times I've talked to him. He's a guy who is very comfortable moving guys against their will, blocking big D, DNs and, uh, and linebackers, and also is equally as comfortable serving in a strictly offensive asset role. Um, with his hands and running routes and getting downfield. So I think a big, big reason that Eric Olson decided to stay home has to do with the vision for Colorado's offense that he received 
primarily through Taylor Embry, but also Carl Durrell, who was the guy that initially offered him in, in mid-April. That Eric Olson's offer came straight from the boss, which I think also was an impression on him that, that stuck with him in the ensuing months before he ultimately chose Colorado. Yeah, and, and I, I almost feel like that, that makes a statement to, to all of the recruits in the state that, that Colorado mm -hmm. is important to this coaching staff when your head coach goes out and says, hey, I am giving this offer to this guy. I am watching. This isn't just going to be delegated to whoever we say should be doing this. This is the head coach that's stepping in. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that the, the term like rebuild kind of gets thrown around a lot. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the time there's a team that people say they're rebuilding when really they might just be a bad team. This Buffs team really does have a rebuild feel, you know, that they're, they have to add tight ends. Like that is an important yeah. piece of the offense that's just missing. And they are literally building that up the same thing with those quarterbacks. And I think that you can see some upside in these positions and particularly with Eric Olson and, and you kind of mentioned the physicality, but when you watch him on tape, it's hard to say what the strength of his game is. And I think that's why he excites me so much as yeah. a part of this offense, because like you said, you can flex him out wide. You can have him blocked. And, and like you mentioned, like he's a big physical blocker. And some of those highlights you see in his reel, they almost like remind me of watching the blind side with mm -hmm. Michael Orr, where he's just like pounding guys in the ground, taking guys yeah. off the field, because that's what he's doing. Like, like it isn't just that he's out there blocking and fulfilling his responsibility. He is mean. He's, he's putting guys on the ground. And then when they try to get up, he's jumping on top of them. Like yeah. it's so physical. And then he turns around and two plays later, he catches the ball and shakes his hips a little bit. And a defender just flies right by him and he goes down the field untouched. When you look at his film, is there an aspect of his game that you see and you say, you know what, maybe he doesn't pan out how we hope, but at the very least he, he will be a blocker or he will be a receiver and he'll have something to add in that part of the game at a bare minimum. Yeah. I mean, I would probably say like, in terms of things that jumped out to me on his film, I mean, I don't think it would be accurate to say that he has elite speed per se. Um, I don't think he's going to burn any defensive backs um, assigned to cover him. But that said, I mean, that's a big frame. And if you get a mismatch with a smaller DB, it doesn't matter if you don't outrun them. I mean, you can st it's still going to toss that ball up and Eric Olson's going to moss anyone who kind of tries to get near him. Um, but I, I really did like how, how Heritage used him as a junior in the run game. I mean, just when, when they would run plays and he is pulling, he's pulling from one side of the line and, and lead blocking the other way. Like that is, that is impressive. And, and, and that definitely inspires some, uh, some anticipation for what he can do at the line of scrimmage once he gets to college. Um, but I, I think what I like about him most is that, he really is a guy that, that blurs the line between traditional tight end and also flex wide receiver. And dating back to the 2020 class, even though Mel Tucker certainly isn't here anymore, but one thing that I think you can kind of see um, continuity-wise, and especially with, with Darren Shaverini, is they are continuing to go after that kind of hybrid position, mm -hmm. um, the, the tight end slash wide receiver who can kind of go either way. And depending on what kind of package Colorado decides to run, Olsen very much might be a guy who is as cool with putting his hand in the dirt and blocking in a, in a run assignment, as well as going out and catching passes. So 
I think if I had to maybe analyze where he was stronger, I, I'd probably say run game. I mean, he really does seem to have the tools in his belt necessary to be a very solid asset on the offensive line and, and clearing guys out of the way for the likes of uh, Ashad Clayton and, uh, and these running backs in, in, in 2021, 2020, 2021, and, and beyond. Yeah, it's just so exciting because that is the type of player – I feel like like that's how coaches can show that they're good coaches if they can take players like that and actually exploit the matchups mm-hmm. that they have. You know, he's one of those guys where you put a linebacker on him, he's going to be able to outrun him. He's going to beat him in the passing game. You put a DB on him, there's no way that you can block him. And when you're just, like, talking about players, it's really easy to say, okay, they have that, now they can do it. But it does place some responsibility on the coaches to use that player correctly, similar to how you have to use a, a guy like LaVisca Chenault correctly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we've seen, like, phases where it's gone well and phases where it hasn't. O- on the defensive side of the ball, it's kind of that hybrid safety linebacker guy. Can you put him in the right position and let him make plays for you instead of pigeonholing him into one box? Because, again, that's, that's that versatility that the whole game of football has kind of been based on. Um, getting back to the Colorado recruitment in general, I'm, I'm wondering what your thought is about um, whether Colorado landed Eric Olson because of the benefits that you have being an in-state school when there are these recruiting dead periods, when mm-hmm. the coronavirus stuff is happening. You know, he he obviously has like opinions of those other schools, but it's not like Boulder where he's lived an hour away and he spent some time there and he knows what's going on there. He knows he's going to have friends there. He knows his family's an hour away and it's a very safe answer. Um, How much of a factor do you think that played in him staying home? Yeah. Well, I I absolutely think that um, this perpetual recruiting dead period that we've been in as a result of the COVID situation Um, It certainly didn't help the competition by any means. The fact that Eric Olson wasn't able to go out and see the likes of Stanford and Notre Dame had to have played something of a role in in his decision to to go with Colorado. And that being said, I don't know if I'd go as far to say as like, oh, well, he just did did the safety school. You know, he knows the drill with CU. There's obviously more to the equation than that in the sense of – of what Carl Durrell and Chev and Taylor Embry were able to do personality wise, vision wise, just in, in selling Eric Olson about his specific role at Colorado and the potential for him to, to be something of a trailblazer uh, with respect to what they want to do with the tight end position in the years to come. But I mean, I think it, it would, it would be lunacy to suggest that the coronavirus situation didn't play into the hands of Colorado in this one just because you have a guy that's essentially right down the block, right down the highway, if you will, who has been to many CU games, um, has family in the area, obviously, has family members that are CU alums, has been to Colorado games as a fan, has been there um, on an unofficial visit capacity. So, I mean, I, I think Eric definitely knew everything he needed to know just about campus, about the facilities of Colorado. Mm-hmm. But what really, I think, pushed him over the ledge to, to where he was comfortable committing to Colorado, I think, was the, the three-pronged attack that Darrell, Chev, and Embry were able to make. And their, the combination of their personalities and how they were able to, to really articulate to him that he was a top-of-boards guy and that he has the potential to come into Boulder in the years to come and, 
and really make a unique difference with this football program. He does. Um, before we move on and talk about kind of the broader CU recruiting, the full update on what's been going on with the new coaching staff, I have one more question, and that is uh, having spoken with Eric, mm-hmm. what is your impression of like Taylor Embry's influence in particular? Yeah. Like, How much does that weight carry, him having just worked with George Kittle, who is the best tight end in the world right now? I mean, yes. Yeah. How, how – I just, just, I mean, don't give him a grade necessarily, but I, I just kind of want to know how, how are we overweighting that impact or not? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, Taylor Embry was the primary recruiter on this one. Carl Durrell got the wheels grease and issued that offer. Mm-hmm. Darren Cheverini was never more than a phone call away in terms of um, his ability to, to talk regularly with Eric Olson and, and just sell that vision for Colorado's offense. But Taylor Embry undoubtedly was, was, was the boots on the ground guy, the foot soldier, if you will, and played probably the most significant role in landing Eric. And I mean, absolutely. I, I think that NFL background really played into his hand, played to his advantage. Um, again, kind of on the same note as uh, talking to Brady Russell um, for some, uh, some brief media availability last week. Um, when we were able to hop on the phone with Taylor Embry a few weeks ago, um, I asked him just what kind of, angle that gave him how did that play into his approach just having that NFL experience and being a guy that played a significant role in the development of arguably the best tight end in the league and George Kittle and his answer interested me and to paraphrase he said you know what surprisingly like it doesn't resonate with everyone it's not it doesn't raise every tight ends uh, uh, eyebrows if you will but what I have noticed I'm, I'm still speaking as if I'm Taylor Embry but what I have noticed is like the tight ends that are serious about getting to college, developing their game and wanting to play at the next level in the league. They are the ones who are immensely impressed that I had the opportunity to work with George Kittle and that I played a role in him developing the player he is, if you will. Um, so the, the George Kittle factor I think was, was extremely important. Um, I mean, Eric Olson wasn't the only recruit tight end recruit who I would talk to and, they would say, yeah, like, it's cool talking to Coach Embry. Like, he'll pull up some NFL film, like, compare me to George Kittle. We'll, we'll talk about how we're similar, maybe how we're not, what room I have to grow. And I think just if you can just have that as your, your lead in, just likening these kids to the top NFL, um, NFL tight end, I think that obviously does do some favors. But, I mean, kind of like we saw with uh, Brian Michalowski last year on the recruiting trail, I mean, Embo's a young dude. He's young. He's relatable. He's approachable. He's a guy you can just chop it up with and have a, a cool conversation. And also a guy who, when it's time to get serious and, and dissect some film and talk some X's and O's, I think he's a guy who, who has an aura of authority to him. I mean, the dude knows what he's talking about. He comes from the NFL, from the Niners, and now obviously at a Pac-12 Power 5 institution with Colorado. Um, but to, to answer your question directly, I, I don't think the role of Taylor Embry should be undervalued in, in any way on this one. He was an absolute driving force in, in getting Eric Olson to, to commit as his primary recruiter. Oh, that's good stuff. All right, uh, before we move along, I do need to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. Uh, and remember that supporting our partners is supporting us, especially during this crazy time. Uh, one way you can do that is by going to the farmhouse down in Littleton. It's open, it's socially distanced. There's a beautiful setup for outside dining. 
Um, you can also, if you're looking for curbside pickup or delivery, uh, use their website. And if you do that, then use the code DNVR and you can save $5 off your meal. Uh, you can also call 303-803-1380. Um, and that's, they, they're open for curbside pickup and delivery from noon to 8 p.m. every day. You can also pick up a 15-can uh, sampler or the uh, Mile High City Copper Lager. Um, those are a couple of the best options, in my opinion. Uh, you can use the Breck Beer Locator to find the nearest location you can get those. Uh, or you can go to Davidson's just south of Denver, or of course you can come to the DMVR bar and try whichever beer it is that you want to try. Uh, I also want to tell you about our great friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group. Uh, taking care of your teeth is important, and I know a lot of us have been neglecting it because we've just been locked inside for the last few months. There's no better option than Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood. It's only 15 minutes away from downtown Denver. It's uh, super easy, they're family owned, and they'll take care of you. The best part is they are extreme Colorado sports fans just like the rest of us. Uh, Lindsay and Allie have just scheduled their appointments to remove their wisdom teeth. This is a new read, I had not heard that. That's uh, That sounds awful. I actually still haven't gotten mine out and I can actually see them getting just a tiny bit crooked. Like they're almost all the way in though. And, and I think that it's fine at this point. I'm not sure how, like, like, I think once they're in, they can't really like mess up and make them all crooked. Right. Like if I can just get through this last like quarter inch, it'll all work out. Well, I think, yeah, the, I think that's the point of like getting them out. Like most people that get their wisdom teeth out, like you can kind of just tell that when they do come in, they're going to mess up your tooth line. And if you're yeah. already three fourths of the way there, I'd probably say you're, you're fine. Um, that said, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a dental <laughs> expert by any means. I, I personally, I got mine out when I was like 16. I think I was a junior in high school. But How was it? Um, I mean, the, I think the biggest like continual annoyance is that you have to, you're pretty much on like a pudding applesauce soup diet. Like, I mean, my, my tongue was straight up numb probably for like 24 hours after the, the surgery. I mean, with all the much not you to get those those teeth out and then it's just a couple keeping the the, the stitches and not like fiddling. i don't know i think i think I'll, i would uh i don't think it's anything to to sweat or anything like that but <laughs> i think i would struggle i i don't <laughs> think i could not mess with the stitches i do i i, I am down with like the applesauce i eat like a lot of applesauce actually which is a weird thing i don't think i've shared on this podcast but i mean it's just, there's just like the cinnamon <laughs> it like comes in like the individual little cups and you're like ah I, I i don't have time to go get lunch right now just eat one of those little applesauces so I, I, the point is i could eat a bunch of applesauce i don't think i could not mess with the stitches i'm gonna ask Lindsay and Allie how it goes and yeah. then i'll figure out if i'm brave enough to get mine out Hopefully they'll just say I don't need them. At the very least, I do need a cleaning and everybody should schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam because you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush and uh, tweet at us and let us know that you did it. Um, again, this is Green Mountain Dental Group. Definitely check them out. They're a great longtime DNVR partner and we appreciate it when you guys show them love. Okay, uh, back to football and not teeth. Um, let's just start with this. Uh, there's a new staff recruiting. Um, Carl Durrell's put together his team, some holdovers. We know that Darren Cheverini is a good recruiter. Like mm -hmm. 
that has been established at this point. Um, who else, if anybody, do you think deserves more credit for their recruiting ability than they get? Well, I'd probably, um, I mean, first and foremost, I'd probably start with Brett Maxey. I mean, when you talk oh. about resume, um, the angles in which he can approach recruits, having been someone that underwent a position change in college from quarterback to DB, made it to the league as an undrafted free agent, thrived in the league for over a decade, and immediately upon the ending of his playing career, transitioned to a successful multi-decade NFL career. He's also coached collegially, first at Vanderbilt, now Colorado. He's coached at the high school level. I mean, Tyson Summers probably said it best when we had talked to him a few weeks ago when he was talking about Brett Maxey and he said something to the effect of like you, you talk to guys to recruits about aspirations, goals, dreams, like Brett Maxey has been there and done that. And so from a resume point of view, I think Brett Maxey is set up to be an extremely um, important asset for Carl Durrell in his recruiting efforts. But ultimately he does have to, to reel in some fish. Um, Brett Maxey certainly isn't the only guy who's a, uh, who's got the buffs into more or less the final conversation with the recruit only to, to lose out to someone else. Um, but Brett Maxey's a guy I'm really excited about to, to see who he's able to reel in. Um, because we talked about Eric Olson and how he kind of blurs the lines between tight end and wide receiver. And I mean, Brett Maxey, and he said it himself, he's the living embodiment of some of versatility probably. Um, that's kind of how he operates on the recruiting trail. I mean, he is the safeties coach. He's going to oversee that room. But if you're a corner, if you're a nickel, a safety, like I don't really think that care that matters much to Brett Maxey. He seems to be a guy that will watch someone's film, do his own independent evaluation, and have an expectation that, well, like you best be, be able to play multiple positions or else like your chances of not only surviving in college, making it, making it to the league, frankly, are going to be exponentially lower if you're kind of just a, a one-trick pony. Um, I mean, Demetrius Martin certainly is a guy who's, whose resume and reputation speaks for itself. I don't know if I would say he deserves more credit. I, I think out of all the people Carl Durrell brought in, he was the guy with the most buzz around him just from um, his knowledge of the Pac-12, his Southern California recruiting ties, and uh, just what he's done in the past on the recruiting trail. Um, Colorado and, and Demetrius Martin, they recently lost out on a, a blue chip corner from Southern California who just chose Texas um, a few days ago. I think it was actually the third. It was the day before uh, Olsen made his announcement. Mm -hmm. um, Jameer Johnson. But I would, I would just go on the record and say I do not think that is going to be the last four-star or higher recruit that Demetrius Martin progresses significantly with. Um, I think that was the hors d'oeuvre as opposed to the main course, if you will. And if anyone on that coaching staff, at least on the defensive side of the ball, has the potential and the ability to get Colorado in these final conversations with blue chip guys, I think it's Meet Martin, uh, hands down. Um, Brian Michalowski continues to, to be um, a young coach who recruits with vigor. Um, he also would fall into that category as a coach who is um, who's not reeled in someone yet within the 2021 20, class, but um, has gotten the buffs pretty close with a couple guys. Um, Nathan Rollins Kabanj is a, a dude really, really reminiscent of, of, of a Jason Harris. He's like six seven, six eight. plays both basketball and football, is a defensive end. The Colorado and, and Mike Lowski, I think, had some intentions of, of 
maybe making him more of like a versatile guy who could rush rush the edge, also drop back into pass coverage and play in space. Um, he ended up committing elsewhere, so the Buffs kind of lost out on him. Um, but still, I mean, I still have like pretty fond memories and, and just excitement levels of uh, of the whole Jason Harris ordeal and how Brian Michalowski was able to to reel him in. And I certainly would have similar expectations of the man uh, for the 2021 cycle. But I mean, other than that, it it is it's early. It, it is kind of tough here now in in July to maybe to grade these guys to to gauge just how effective of recruiters these coaches are. But I will say. Across the board, the guys that Carl Durrell brought in, um, there's a lot of Power 5 experience there. There's a lot of NFL experience there. I mean, it, it kind of almost risks being cliche at this point, just the, the, the Durrellism, if you will, of I don't want only good coaches. I want good teachers. That's kind of the most mm-hmm. important thing that Durrell has, has said repeatedly um, with respect to his philosophy. But I think he, he checked a lot of boxes with the guys he brought in. Uh, as being good teachers and if you're a good teacher overseeing your position room in boulder at colorado i think that there definitely is a correlation to that translating well on the recruiting trail um so so far um i think i've definitely liked what i've seen um from the majority of this coaching staff across the board but it is early this isn't a time to maybe start freaking out or sound the alarm bells because colorado's class is, is a bit small with comparison to uh comparing it to the rest of the Pac-12, but I think there's there's a, a hell of a lot of guys on this coaching staff that strike me as um, having the potential to be to be very, very good recruiters uh, in, in 2021 and beyond. Uh, you touched on, uh, I don't even know what to call it, maybe just uneasiness. Maybe that's giving Buffs fans a little bit too much credit about the uh, current state of the recruiting class. You know, only five commitments. Uh, that is a very low number. Let's start here. Um, it was a big class last year. They yes. filled that whole thing out. Do you expect them to be bringing in another class of that size this year? Because that last one was so big, is it going to be smaller? Like They have five now. How many do you think that they're going to have at the end of this whole thing? Yeah, I mean – Really, I, I would certainly say with confidence that the 2021 class will be significantly smaller than the, I think, was it a full 25, 24, 25? That, I think that it was. Last year? Um, I would probably take the under on 17. Really? Give or take a few. If, if it's lower in like 15 commits, that wouldn't surprise me. If it's 18 or 19, I, I don't know if I would go higher than that. Um, I mean, there's just not a lot of seniors graduating this year. There's not going to be a lot of open scholarships on the team. So, really, the if it would have been Mel Tucker had he not bolted to Michigan State, now it's Carl Durrell. Like, it what 2021 was going to be a smaller class at, at face value, I think. Um, now, I certainly can understand it from a fan's perspective. Um, so much momentum, so much to be excited about with the 2020 class. Your coach leaves in the middle of the night. Um, you've got a new guy, a new a new staff with Carl Durrell and his guys coming in. Then the pandemic hits, and now we're here in the middle of early July with with five commits for the 2021 class. And I really think that the biggest issue with that is, is optics-wise right now. Um, as I alluded to, it, it, it is still early. There's still the rest of the summer. There's still all the fall months leading into the early signing period. I would probably rather have this conversation on, like, 
should we be freaking out with this class right now in November as opposed to right now? I mean, there's, there's just so much time. There are a lot of recruits still out there. Um, there's a lot of um, fish on the, on the lines, if you will, the Colorado is looking at right now. I don't think this is any sort of time to start sounding the alarm bells. Um, Colorado fans, frankly, you're, you're just going to have to stomach the fact that the Buffs are second to last in the Pac-12 in terms of number of commi- commits. I think Stanford only has less. I want to say they have four right now. But mm-hmm. other than that, take a breather. It's not the time to freak out. But with that being said, um, giving the, the contingent of fans who, who are freaked out right now, who maybe haven't been super impressed with Colorado's recruiting efforts under Carl Durrell, giving them kind of benefit of the doubt, like – I mean, I get it. You have a program that's won, had one winning record, gone to one bowl in 12 years. Like, I understand how little things like this, like maybe offering a recruit who doesn't have a, his star assignment yet or who is like a three-star lower or that there only are five commits right now. Like, I, I do resonate with how that can kind of lead to this like slippery slope feeling. They're like, oh, great. Like, we're just reverting back to – the Dan Hawkins era, like, why are we, why are we going after these recruits and battling the University of Maine and Buffalo? Like, we should be going after the blue chips, blah blah blah. So, I think, from a fan's perspective, I I, I do get it if you are kind of a, a little nervous right now. But I would just say it at face value and just as a closing statement, like, it is early right now. This probably isn't the time to start freaking out. Let's talk in November. If there's seven commits by the time mid fall rolls around. Yeah, it's probably start. It's probably time to start freaking out. But as of right now, let's take it day by day for a few months, see what happens, and hopefully there are some uh, some good surprises around the the near corner in terms of this class of twenty twenty one continuing to grow. Yeah, and, and I like I like how you picked out November uh, in particular because you know at this point last year it's not like things were great. But I, yeah. I, I, I mean, Buffs fans were pretty upset, and I feel like early in the season that September is when things started to sink in because I think at this point they already had Brendan Lewis and Keith Miller. So they, so they had at least a couple of guys to get excited about. And and right now, you know, Eric Olson is really exciting, at least in my mind, but last year it wasn't until, you know, Ashad Clayton in November, Jason Harris, a couple months Mm -hmm. later, that the class really became filled out and it had that top end talent. And Again, for you to pick out November as a time to really start thinking about it, I really like, especially because things are so slow recruiting-wise with the coronavirus. Um, You know, we mentioned how uh, Colorado had a leg up landing Eric Olson because they're in-state. That also means that they're kind of at a disadvantage when they're recruiting players from out-of-state because they can't see the facilities. And here's, here's another note. I think it was in your story. Um, you mentioned that Eric Olson said that the facilities here are pretty similar to LSU's. You know, that was actually, that was Austin Barry. He is um, oh, okay. probably fair to consider him the top offensive lineman on the boards right now for Colorado mm-hmm. and for Mitch Rodrigue. Um, six foot six, 280 pound tackle from um, Riverside, California. He was the one who likened Colorado's facilities to LSU saying that they're like unmatched and Boy, I mean, if that, if, like, fine for me, a, a more flattering kind of coming from out of the mouth of a, a, a recruit that you're targeting pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I heard that, and I, I will give full credit. Um, Austin didn't tell me that personally. Um, okay. he, he did an interview with uh, Bruin Blitz, which is the CU Sports Nation equivalent uh, 
of rivals covering UCLA athletics. He told their publisher when asked to kind of go through your, your final, I think he had a top five recently, which Colorado was in along with UCLA and, and some more PAC 12 schools. But that was kind of how he was prompted and, and, um, and went on to liken the Buffs facilities to LSU. So full credit to you yeah, to, to Bruin Blitz, but I saw that and, and had to include it in, in my own story yeah. just as kind of a, a bonus. I mean, that's not certainly not something you, you hear every day. No, but, but it does seem like, you know, when Mel was here, Mel kept saying, you know, we have the facilities to compete with anybody in the country. Rick yeah. George has said that before too. And it's not that I didn't believe him. And I've seen the facilities. They're very nice facilities. But it's LSU. That's, that's SEC money. And so to yeah. hear the recruits echo that and say that that wasn't them rounding up, it, it, it actually is true that they can compete in that area. I mean, is the reason that Colorado doesn't have the same talent as those schools, is that just because I mean, they have that, I don't want to call it football history, but maybe like football recent history because it is the SEC um, and, and Colorado's recruiting to the PAC 12 and to a team that has struggled. Is that really where the biggest separator between a Colorado and an LSU lies, or is there another piece of the puzzle too? Well, I mean, I certainly think, um, I don't know, the, the, the quote unquote, the, the dirty money, the, the kind of behind the doors, behind the scenes stuff that you can kind of be pretty sure is happening at some of these other big schools. And now do I, after we get off the call here, do I have a scathing expose about LSU recruiting and athletics? No, I, I'm not saying this in a, a factual or like I have hard evidence right in front of me to back it up. Maybe more so just an in, in inference, I, I suppose you could say, and not even just singling out LSU, but I mean, ultimately, like, the state of the program over the last decade, the lack of continuity between coaching administrations, it has to have some adverse effect. I think most definitely on the in-state guys. And, and, and as we talked about earlier, you can see that firsthand when you realize that between 2009 and 2020, there's been three in-state kids, four stars or higher, to go with Colorado as opposed to leave the state in a gap – between 2009 and 2020 to where between Nick Casa and, and Eric Olson. So, I mean, that, that certainly has to be on the forefront of, of in-state recruits um, and how they kind of perceive Colorado. And I mean, for the, the out-of-state guys, um, I mean, who knows? I mean, that, that certainly has to, to play a, a role in it as well. But I mean, the fact that in six years, Mike McIntyre wasn't really getting a lot of like cream of the crop talent. I mean, Mm-hmm. Having Chev on board and knowing what he can do in Texas, I mean, the yeah. the LaVisca's, the Katie Nixon's, yeah. like, that was always an advantage. And Colorado has always done well in the state of Texas, as, as well as California, for that matter. But um, what Mel Tucker was able to do in his one year and really boost the buffs to, to around a top 30 class, at least the way rivals ranked it, um, that was an unprecedented thing. I mean, that even the success of the 2016 year – Mike McIntyre recruiting in 2017 coming off of that awesome season that was the one light, one bright light in a dark room with respect to the, the most recent history of Colorado football. Like that wasn't even accomplished. I mean, you win 10 games that year and it still would seem a bit hard to, to get the good recruits here to Boulder. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think first and foremost, that the stigma of just what this program has been able to do and maybe more, 
specifically what it hasn't been able to do in terms of consistency, um, a revolving door with, with head coaches over the last few years. And I feel like re- recruits notice that. And given that kind of state, when, when Colorado is going up against these big dogs like USC and, um, and Mel Tucker really trying to call out some, some SEC programs, I mean, the battle for Rashad Clayton certainly comes to mind as, yeah. as a real just like dogfight between who – what is this rinky-dink Colorado program? Like, what, do you, what business do they have in New Orleans right now? So you would think the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs are kind of thinking. Um, I mean, when you, when you kind of look at that, like, it, it certainly, it's, it's been rare. That being said, what I feel like I'm kind of seeing in 2021, and Demetrius Martin once more is a good example of this, like, there is star power on that coaching staff that I think is capable of getting Colorado to the finish line, to the final conversation, into the top five, the top threes, and up until decision day with blue chip recruits. But the fact that the program has been so shaky for almost a decade and a half, it's kind of okay, like charisma of the coaches and then not very optimal history of the program. And, and that kind of has the potential to, to offset each other. And so, in other words, like I think these coaches have a lot harder time a lot harder of a time selling these blue chips only on their personalities, really uh, only on the facilities, especially now the kids can't come to campus and just be immersed with that in-person experience. But the USC's, the Alabama's, the LSU's like programs that have coaching staff and personnel and recruiters that are relatable, that have track records of getting guys into the NFL that are young, so on and so forth. They have the advantage of program history of precedent of being able to look five to 10 years in the past and point to some really good successful teams. And the fact that Colorado is not able to do that, it's always going to be, it's always going to put the buffs at a disadvantage until they are able to get a couple years back to back of, of, uh, of winning campaigns. Yeah. and, and, And I think the frustrating thing is just how close they've been. You know, oh, yeah. to, to go yeah. five and seven, three straight years, you get one more bowl game in there. It feels so much better. And at the same time, it's so easy to look back and say, what if the buffs had kept Christian McCaffrey and stayed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if you just add Christian McCaffrey to that 2016 team? He is splitting time with Phil at running back. You know, they already made it to a PAC 12 title game. Do they win the PAC 12 that year? Do they make a surprise college football playoff appearance? I don't know that that would be the case, but you can look back and find those. You know, this year, Andrew Gentry from from Columbine, the big tackle who's one of the best tackle prospects um, in the whole country, for him to leave the state, to to see like a guy like Aiden Kayanaina leave the state. You know, yeah. you're you're just looking back and saying, these last three years, you know, that Air Force game last year, that's the one game you have to win. Does pulling in just one more in-state guy do it. Does, does one more out-of-state guy do it? And it does feel like they are so close. But as somebody who paid very little attention to Colorado football up until a year ago, you know, my conception of the program was, I mean, it's Colorado. That's, that's a bottom-tier yeah. Power 5 school. Once you get so close to it, you realize, you know, Cole Taylor. There, there are so many of these guys who you can just add one more piece and they would have gotten that one more win. I just I, – I, eventually, you just have to do it, though, I guess, is where I'm going with this. Um, 
let's jump into this recruiting class. You know, we've kind mm-hmm. of spoken in broad terms. Can you give us like a quick rundown of the four other commits? You know, yeah. starting with Chase Penry. What's going right. on there? Well, Chase Penry, um, Cherry Creek standout, local guy, another dude who's right down the block, if you will. And he ultimately was the one recruit that Mel Tucker had inked before abruptly leaving town in February that decided to stay on, um, that, that kept his ver- verbal pledge. And while Chase still is receiving offers regularly, um, and I, I wouldn't say I, I've caught up with him. I think the last time I talked to Chase was probably probably over a month ago, but I had made it a point to keep checking in with the guy just to see, like, I mean, where are you standing right now? Like, have you and Carl Durrell been able to kind of build a rapport? And the last time I talked to Chase, I, I got that feeling um, that the reason he is still committed to Colorado right now is Carl Durrell. Um, and also, I mean, Darren Chevrini plays a big role in that, just mm-hmm. the continuity there um, as the kid's primary recruiter. But, I mean, every time I see this dude on film, whether he's just working out or kind of doing a, a laissez-faire, like um, tossing the ball around with, with some teammates, like I really think that dude is an underrated player. Um, in terms of route running, strength, footwork, everything I see on Chase Penry impresses me and continues to impress me. And I think, um, I think Darren Chevrini looks at that dude and maybe sees a lot of himself in it um, from when oh. he was a college player. Yeah, yeah, now, I see it too. Kind of the dude he was as a player uh, coming out of high school, then at CU and eventually the, the NFL. So I personally, I really like what Chase Penry brings to the table. And I think it's a, a testament to Carl Durrell and his demeanor, his approach, the kind of guy he is, that he was able to keep him on board um, in the COVID era, not being able to have a face-to-face like meeting with him outside of just Zoom and like phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chase Penry, he's still he he's still getting offered a lot of Ivy League interest in him. I I would certainly assume that some Power Five schools at some point or other will follow. But I'd go on the record and and, and probably rate his commitment pretty strong right now. Um, everything I. I I've kind of gathered from talking to him and, and seeing how, how he's been doing in the months since Mel left and, and Carl Durrell took over. I think he's still pretty firm in his commitment to, uh, to CU. Now, Zephaniah Mea is a kid. Um, he's listed as an inside linebacker. He's from the outskirts of Las, Las Vegas, Nevada. And he was a dude who was, uh, he was the last commit before Eric Olson. So he mm-hmm. wound up committing um, – Oh boy, probably early June, I'd say. Yep, I've got him probably in June first. A month ago, and this is where where Junior Tanabasa enters the conversation. Um, he's a quality control coach for Colorado, who specializes in recruiting. I mean, th- this dude continues like he is just really like the penultimate like shadow agent. Like, not that he's oh. like doing like clandestine things <laughs> in the background, but he's starting conversations with kids. He, he's forging relationships. He's building the bridges, making the introductions, and then other coaches get involved and, and kind of help take over from there. But Zephaniah is a perfect example. Um, I remember talking to him about a month ago, and and he had talked about Coach Junior and essentially said, like, Coach Junior had reached out to me. He was talking to me. And really for the first couple weeks, like, I don't think I was very high on Colorado's boards. But Tanavasa ended up convincing Tyson Summers – that this kid was legit leading to an offer and the buffs literally like made it into a top three of his or top five of his like a week or so after offering and then beat out Boise state and San Diego state for his commitment. So 
real props to, to Junior Tanavasa. He's been a, a very solid asset for, for Colorado. And, I mean, just from what the film has shown me on him, hard-hitting linebacker, has the potential maybe to, to play outside. Um, probably envisioned at that, that Sam linebacker spot, but, of course, we'll, we'll see what happens. And other than that, um, transitioning to, to Alan Baugh, um, a defensive lineman from Florida, um, he was a guy that uh, both he and his family had personal connections to Carl Durrell, just in Durrell's tenure with, with the Dolphins. Um, I want to say, I don't believe he has, maybe he does have a star ranking, but he's, he's definitely a dude. I want to say he's either like a two or three star guy, maybe not the most robust offer list. And he was the first commit in the Carl Durrell era. So optics wise, kind of the, the naysayer crowd, like looks at this recruit, doesn't see a lot in terms of power five offers in terms of, uh, interest from other big school and immediately kind of start disparaging against the dude. But I mean, he certainly looks the versatile type, um, someone that has the potential to play multiple spots on that defensive line. And he is coming to Colorado as a direct result of Carl Durrell recruiting for him, recruiting him. So, and what that tells us is that at face value, Durrell likes what he sees. He's run his own, um, evaluation on the dude offered him and impacted him enough in terms of building that personal relationship that he he's going to leave his home state and come out to Colorado. Um, and ultimately, yeah, like there, there are just five commits in this class of 2021, but I really think the addition of Eric Olson is going to grease the wheels and set up some good momentum for this football program with an important couple uh, remaining months of the summer um, now upon us. Yeah. I uh, I feel like I can see like Carl Durrell's vision for this program. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've talked about how you need to win essentially to get recruits. And it's almost like, I mean, obviously that's the goal, but it's, it seems like he's taken a slightly different path where, you know, I, I kind of see him as like a, a coach groomer where he can bring in these young guys, guys like Taylor Embry, and polish them the same way that he can polish yeah. the players. And so to have a guy like that, a, a Brian Michalowski, and, and then also have some guys with the NFL experience. Obviously, Embry checks both boxes. Embry checks basically every box you could ask for. But but then like a guy like Chris Wilson, uh, 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 Brett Maxey, um, it feels like there is this emphasis from Carl Durrell to groom these young coaches and get them ready for the NFL and also have the assistant coaches groom the players that they recruit for the NFL as well. And obviously winning games is the goal, but that was a focus. When we talked to Taylor Embry, like, what are you saying to these kids? He's, mm-hmm. he's saying, we are going to get you to the next level. We are turning that, turning you into that kind of football player. And that almost feels like their pitch two years from now, three years from now is going to be, Hey, look, Colorado is getting this many guys, to the NFL, we have this staff and that's going to be their way to like return to relevance essentially. And we talked a little bit before this show about how maybe they aren't going after the big name guys, you know, obviously you land in Eric Olson and we'll, we'll get into clay Millen, the quarterback they were in on um, in a few minutes, but I'm I'm kind of impressed by the fact that they're going after guys who aren't the big names, who don't have the big star rankings. You know, as much as we love recruiting, you can run through the all-time list of recruits at Colorado and find NFL players 
pretty much scattered throughout that list. It might be a little top heavy, but a lot of it is development and identifying the guys that maybe outsiders aren't as high on. Um, I don't know. I, I just really like the way that they approach it. And they're willing to take risks on a guy like Alan Ball and say, we, we think he's yeah. a good football player. Same thing with Zephaniah. Yeah, and I think um, kind of a, a classic Mel Tucker line that I still think is kind of in the minds of people that, that maybe plays a part and why people tend to be looking at, at Carl Durrell's recruiting efforts in this class and feeling a little bit negative. Um, Tucker said, it's like, if you make it a habit of recruiting exceptions, you're going to have a whole locker room of exceptions, of oddballs, and, and that's not how you that. win football games. And that's true. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty I, – I forget who this was, but someone I think had poked fun at Mel back in the day and said, like, you probably – like, if you were here back in the day, like, you wouldn't have recruited Phil Lindsay to Colorado. Like, he would have been an exception to you. And so it goes both ways in the mm-hmm. sense that – Yes, like it, I guess if all of your recruiting efforts are going after two-star guys, going after guys that the likes of Rhode Island and UNLV and other group of five schools are, are pursuing, yeah, probably a recipe for disaster. But I don't think that we should maybe raise our eyebrows or start to freak out at the instance of a two-star guy or maybe someone who hasn't gotten his uh, recruiting evaluation done and been assigned stars or a guy who has less than 10 offers and maybe not every Pac-12 or Power 5 school is knocking at the door. Like, just don't judge the book by the cover. I mean, one thing about Carl Durrell's staff in terms of who he kept and who he brought in, there is no doubt in my mind that all of these guys, from, from Chev to Mike Olowski to Chris Wilson to Coach Rodrigue, I don't doubt that they don't know what they're looking for. I don't think they're putting on the blindfold and just tossing a dart at the board mm-hmm. and, oop, okay, this guy, two-star recruit from Louisiana, let's offer him kind of for, for no reason whatsoever. Like, I really don't think that's what's going on. And it, to me, it, it's, it's low-hanging fruit, I think, to just look at maybe uh, an underrated, under-recruited, undervalued guy and kind of just make a judgment call on the optics front, on who else is offered, mm-hmm. on his stars, especially in the case of, of Chris Wilson. Um, exactly there's one there's one kid um i'm gonna say his name's isaiah rogers he's uh he's from the outskirts of philadelphia he's defensive lineman two-star recruit chris wilson has been going after him pretty hard and oh boy i mean you can imagine from my point of view like i go on the rivals message boards at buff nation (laughs) and uh post this information like Chris Wilson has offered like a two-star defensive tackle. And my God, it's like the apocalypse. Like people are just (laughs) out of their minds, like upset about this. And again, just getting back to kind of resonating with the fan base. Like you have so many bad recruiting classes. You have so many unsuccessful years. I get it. I I do understand the frustration, the the concern, but Chris Wilson's a Super Bowl champion, man. (laughs) And this kid is like from his backyard. He was coaching a Philly. Like this isn't just a random this wasn't a random offer issued to someone who Wilson doesn't think can play. Like clearly he thinks highly of this guy enough to want to pursue him. So, I mean, I, I would definitely agree that the, the Carl Durrell has, has assembled a staff that I think is very capable of getting guys to the league and is capable of selling recruits that they're the, they're the right man for the job to develop them in college and get them to the league. And in order to do that, it doesn't always have to be a four-star recruit. I mean, the more four-stars Colorado lands, I'm all for it, the better. But 
That being said, there's another side of the coin which says like it's not always maybe the best thing to do to get super down in the dumps and disparage when Colorado's not going after the four-star guys. Yes, and and I love that you brought that kid up because, I mean, it's it's Chris Wilson. He's yeah. an NFL defensive line coach. He's been working with Chris Long and Fletcher Cox and Timmy Jernigan, yeah. all these massive names. He won a Super Bowl, and that Super Bowl was won Honestly, you could make you could make the claim that Super Bowl was won because of that defensive line. Yeah. That that was the best group. And this whole time, there's been this high school kid a few miles away from him, and we're we're saying, no, Chris Wilson, you are making the wrong decision. <laughs> you are not the talent evaluator. And that's what this is all about. Like you know, Mel can come in and try to rebuild Colorado based on the flash and get all the optics right. You know, bring in a four-star receiver, bring in Brendan Rice, the son of Jerry Rice, and you're going to see the ramifications all throughout college football recruiting as word gets out that he landed him and he landed Ashad Clayton and he landed Jason Harris. Meanwhile, instead of banking on the flash, Colorado now is banking on the talent evaluators and the Mm -hmm. developers. And I think that that is more sustainable. And when you see these guys move to the NFL and when you see – this program slowly take a step up. And, and that's not to say they didn't need that this last year's recruiting class. They did. They desperately needed yeah, yeah. 25 guys who can play football. And they got it. And now they can not only have that and hopefully ride a pretty quick wave of talent back toward at least being uh, in the middle of the pack in the Pac-12. Get, get yourself into some bowl games and then take these guys and develop them into really good football players. That just seems like, such a wholesome way forward yeah. that I'm really excited about. Yeah. You know, I, I think the one thing that Eric Olson had told me um, in the multiple times that, that I've interviewed him, he said something that really kind of stuck out to me and um, essentially a paraphrase. And again, he said like, like Mel Tucker and Carl Durrell both told me essentially the same thing that they, they wanted to get Colorado back to where it was during the glory days of the program in the 1990s. But the difference between Mel and Carl is that Carl actually has a plan to do it and is going to seize initiative and, and take some steps to, to get there himself as opposed mm. to like let it come to him. And are, are Mel Tucker and Carl Durrell very, very different guys? Absolutely. Um, I mean, gone are the days where, like, I mean, from a, from a recruiting writing perspective, it used to be awesome when, when Mel's, like, recruiting assistants would – tweet out like some eyeball emojis or Carson Lee would tweet the spiking, uh, the spiking Buffalo like image. So Mm -hmm. in other words, like, okay, like this is the indicator someone's committing today or tomorrow. Like those days are gone. I mean, that's not Darrell's style. I think having come from the NFL, maybe those things seem kind of frivolous or or not needed Mm -hmm. um, in, in his mind, but he certainly is a very, um, just a very, um, I don't want to say secretive, but th- he doesn't play this social media game, if you will. Like there, there's no desire on his part to kind of have the people under him creating buzz and previewing commitments and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And while maybe that makes my job harder in terms of uh, <laughs> predicting like who's going to come to Colorado, and while, yeah, it might disappoint the fan base who enjoyed kind of getting that preview um, that was pretty prevalent in the Mel Tucker area, where Carl Durrell, I think, is really resonating with recruits and case in point, Eric Olson, is just the honesty, the demeanor, philosophy, um, vision for the future. I mean, 
the dude's obviously doing something right. And I think what that is, is that just being a genuine guy, no BS. I'm not going to lie to you. Like I really think Carl Durrell is, an, is a very genuine person who resonates with recruits on the trail. Um, whether that be personally offering them or just trying to get to know these kids. Like I feel like these recruits have a BS detector as you might anticipate. Mm-hmm. And, Carl Durrell is a guy that I think checks the boxes of, I trust this guy. He's not leading me down a false road. And like, he's a guy that I would trust and my parents would trust looking after me when I would get to college. So there certainly are differences between the two men. But as we just saw with this in-state four-star acquisition, I think there is something to be said about Carl Durrell's approach and, and kind of what he's putting down. And it clearly is resonating on the recruiting trail. And I think Olsen is just going to be uh, the tip of the iceberg with respect to that. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, the, the quote you brought up from Taylor Embry that I keep going back to as well. I think that almost sums it all up that yeah. the guys who recognize how much he can teach them because of the work he's done with George Kittle, because he understands how to develop guys and make them successful in the league, because he understands what that takes. Those are the guys that are drawn to him. And some guys aren't. Mm -hmm. And the guys that are drawn to that are the guys that they want in the program. You know, maybe not the guys who want the big graphics and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that that's bad. I I think everybody would love to see that. But, I mean, to hear that from Embry, to know that that's kind of Darrell's take as well. And we've had similar conversations with Brian Michalowski that would kind of echo those same sentiments that – you know, we do want the guys who are putting in the time and the effort, not just in the gym, but thinking about the game and understanding and respect that their coaches know how to get them to the next level. Uh, we're, we're going real long here. But before we jump into a quick quarterback conversation, I do want to tell you all about MSU Denver Online. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degree to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members, including Allie and Harrison, are taking MSU Denver online classes this summer. Um, We'll be checking in with them. Uh, throughout so I can kind of tell you guys how it's going, what they're learning, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, but also feel free to reach out to them yourselves and ask. Um, Because again, there there are over, let's see, over 700 online courses and over 40 online or program, uh, online or hybrid programs that will get you a degree. So definitely check it out. You can go to msudenveronline.com slash or msudenver.com slash online to get more information. All right. Um, before I let you go, we got to talk about the quarterback situation. Um, let's start with Clay Millen. Can you just give us a rundown of what happened there? And then we'll jump into some other stuff. Yeah. Um, well, certainly he became the primary top of the boards guy for Danny Langsdor for Colorado in their quest to come down with the 2021 quarterback. And that, to be quite honest, probably has been and will continue to be the most challenging aspect of Colorado's recruiting is getting a signal caller this cycle. I mean, hmm. 
at the end of the day, the reason he went to Arizona is because Arizona had a six-month head start in building all those relationships. Colorado offered pretty much on the spot um, in, I want to say, sometime in late May and pretty much had like two or three weeks to get to know this dude, kind of show them, show him the offense, explain the quarterback room. And then he approached decision day and ultimately went with, uh, with Arizona. Um, I, for one, I was wrong on Millen. I got some vibes that the Buffs had made enough of an impression on him that he was going to be swayed late in the game over to Colorado. But I think at the end of the day, Arizona just had a head start. They had months under their belt that Carl Durrell, Danny Langsdorf and company, despite their best intentions, just weren't able to match. Um, Millen was an intelligent kid. He is an intelligent kid. Um, I enjoyed every time I talked to him. In terms of Colorado interest, he really um, articulated that the Buffs were selling just how thin they are at quarterback to him and that he could come in and really compete for playing time as an underclassman. Um, but, yeah, ultimately um, he ended up choosing Arizona. And the last couple of weeks we've seen Colorado and specifically Danny Langsdorf really kind of get back to the drawing board. I mean, pretty quiet on social media, no news in terms of uh, new, new quarterback offers or traction on that front. Of course, effective a couple hours ago. There actually was a development right on that front. Um, Cameron Friel, a six foot four, 205-pound quarterback from Hawaii, who is an active UNLV commit. He committed to the Rebels in uh, mid-May. He just picked up an offer from Colorado today, just a few hours ago. Um, so I think it would probably be fair to say that Friel is now – top dog, the top of the boards dude for Colorado. Um, I, I definitely see Danny Langsdorf kind of honing in on him and, and trying to poach him away from his uh, verbal pledge to UNLV. But I mean, the dude looks good on film. He's got a very strong, accurate arm, comfortable in the pocket, is listed as a, as a, a dual threat guy. So seems to have a, a good motor and can make plays with his legs. Um, but that's pretty much been the only – um, significant development from my perspective on the quarterback front in the last couple of weeks. And at least in terms of public news that is now out there for the masses, this kid just picked up an offer from Colorado. Uh, junior Tenavasa, who we talked about earlier, he was the one who really laid the bricks of this uh, relationship. He and Chandler Durrell had been talking to, to Cameron probably since like late May, just no pressure, nothing too wild, just kind of trying to build that relationship. And it would very much appear that they lobbied Langsdorf hard enough to where he conducted his own evaluation of this dude, liked what he saw, and now the Buffs are after him via an offer. So other than that, probably not too much to really contribute to the conversation. It doesn't seem like um, Langsdorf has uh, multiple irons in the fire, if you will. We'll see if that changes in the coming weeks, in the coming months. But as of right now, it, it looks like the plan A for the quarterback is uh, yeah, trying trying to poach this dude uh, Cameron Friel away from UNLV. Interesting. So one of the I don't know, maybe just stranger aspects of this is, is kind of the difference in the play style between Millen, who's a pro style guy, and you know he, he he moves around particularly in the pocket really well. He makes guys miss. He can make plays happen and dodge some tackles, but when they're flipping over to this new guy who is a dual threat and they also have Brendan Lewis on the roster, who's obviously a dual threat. We've talked about that a lot. 
is is there something you can take away from this that they're they're going after like two dual threats and one non-dual threat because it it just feels kind of weird and like they don't know which direction they want to go or maybe they're just open-minded yeah i mean i think that's that's very fair to say that to some extent they don't know what direction this offense is going to go just because langsdorf and chev haven't really had a chance to get a full evaluation from from neuer from lytle and from Brendan Lewis, um, just seeing them all compete um, just on the grass. Like, yeah, that there's certainly going to be a lot of question marks that that leaves in terms of like how they want to design the offense. And Danny Langsdorf a couple weeks ago, again, went on the record and said like, yeah, we'll absolutely structure the offense to best complement who's running it. Mm-hmm. Whether that be more of a pocket passer like Tyler Lytle or the, the dull threat guy like Brendan Lewis. But from a recruiting perspective, I think that just tells you that, Langsdorf doesn't really have one singular mold of a guy he goes after. To me, that's indicative of him being flexible, him having kind of a, an expertise and a knowledge of designing offenses, of working with quarterbacks to where he can implement a successful system for just maybe a more pro-style guy. He can also do the same for the dual threat dudes. Um, Brendan Lewis, obviously a, a namely example. Um, so that would probably be my biggest takeaway is that Langsdorf doesn't really have like a one a one size fits all approach to how he goes after quarterbacks. And in what he told us a couple of weeks ago when we talked to him mm-hmm. over Zoom, number one thing he looks for, he said accuracy. Quarterbacks gotta be accurate. If they've got wheels on them, that's obviously a plus. But accuracy is kind of his big, like big harping point. And I think with Millen and now with Cameron Friel, that has been consistent among the guys he has gone after. Um, they've both been accurate. Totally different players, no question about it. But I think if I'm kind of if I'm in Langsdorf's head, I almost see him as like, if you're accurate, we can figure out the rest, and I'll I'll work to to your benefit and, and vice versa. But as long as he's got that accuracy, I think he's comfortable going after um, a dual threat guy who can make plays with his legs or a more traditional pocket passer guy. But the accuracy, I think, has to be there, and that seems to be the biggest thing he's uh, concerned about on the recruiting trail. That's good stuff. Um, one more question before I let you get out of here. Sure. Who will be the Buffs starting quarterback on day yeah. one of the season? That's tough. Um, I don't know if I really paid any mind to the pencil depth chart, at least with respect to quarterback. I agree. I agree. Like, there's, there's just a lot up in the air right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I really feel like Jay Johnson and Mel Tucker looked at Brendan Lewis as a guy who could come in and play as a true freshman. I mean, that was like that was a cornerstone acquisition in the class of 2020 that mm-hmm. is indicative of like you want to design the offense around this dude for the next three or four years. So I think Lewis certainly has a chip on his shoulder, but there absolutely is something to be said about the likes of Lytle and, and Neuer having backed up Steven Montez for all those years, having kind of consistent experience with Chev um, from his former play calling days, um, from the terminology now to where Chev can kind of get that continuity and start calling plays again. Um, who knows? I mean, one of my, one of my biggest criticisms of Mel last year was in the games where Colorado was getting slaughtered at Oregon, at Washington state. Like why aren't we seeing Tyler Lytle or some mm-hmm. or, um, or Blake Stenstrom at the time? Like, why are you not putting these guys in here? They need to get game reps. Montez is gone next year. There's, there's the freshman wild card situation with Lewis. Who knows how long he's going to take to develop. Um, so Henry, I don't, I don't think I can give you a clear answer. I have no idea who's going to start a quarterback. 
I'm I have right absolutely there with no you. I, I, there are some days I wake up and I'm like, how can you not go with Tyler Lytle? He's, he's yeah. just like, you can plug him right in there. He's been in the system. He's a good enough athlete. And again, like it's a rebuilding year. And that means that you, this isn't a year where you're even doing what you want to do necessarily. You're kind of just doing what you have to do. It's going to yeah. be a couple of years until you get your tight ends and everything all cleaned up. And I mean, who knows? I'm, I, I'm actually sneaky high on that group for that year. Like the young talent, I love Brady Russell's game. They bring in like Matt Lynch and them, but uh, ah, then you go back to Brendan Lewis mm-hmm. who can just make things happen. Who, if you're running the football, like you want to have him run some RPOs or even yeah. just designed runs, get an extra blocker in there and let him carry the ball. Like I, it's just, it's daily for me going back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and I wish we got to see it all play out. I know. Uh, yeah, that would have been fun to, especially Brendan Lewis seeing it in, in spring. That was something I was really mm-hmm. looking forward to, but it was not to be. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, just that one spring game could have been so yeah. much fun. Uh, <laughs> I would have read so much into that. Also, the pictures of Brendan Rice now. Have you seen, like, the, before he came out to Colorado, he had, like, that shirt of him just being absolutely jacked. Yeah. And being, like, <laughs> six foot two, and then the speed comes out. He would have been another – I guess he wouldn't have been here for that. But I don't know. It, it would have been a lot of fun to see those guys this spring. Hopefully we'll get to see him this fall. I certainly hope so. That's all I can ask for at this point. All right. Thanks for coming on, Justin. We'll have to do this again soon. Again, Absolutely. you guys can go to uh, cusportsnation.com. Uh, Rivals will get you there too if you go to their website. And follow all of Justin's work because he covers recruiting as well as anybody else on the Buffs beat. So uh, – Stay tuned to his stuff because it's all good. And I will be back tomorrow with another show for you all. As always, you can leave your questions in the comment section of the poster today's show at thedmbr.com. We will get to those tomorrow. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to A. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Hey. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.